It is a new year, as I'm sure we all know, and it's the first Sunday of the new year, 2020. Uh, and so I figured I really wanted to, to do a message for, for the sermon today. I really wanted to do something that would sort of tie in with that theme of the new year. And sort of when I think of the new year, one of the things I think of is, well, New Year's resolutions. It's certainly something that's sort of popular, uh, popular in our culture. In fact, I, I did some digging, looking for some statistics from you know, reliable polls. Uh, and over 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. So you know, if you want to ballpark it, sort of roughly 50-50, a little under 50%, but roughly 50% of the country does this. Uh, and for many, certainly, they do it in sort of a secular way. It's not a religious thing for them, right? It's something that they just sort of do, and, and God's not a part of it. But if you think about it, if you sort of think of the substance of a New Year's resolution, sort of what's it all about? It's sort of a time of taking stock. It's the end of one year, and now it's the start of a new year. It's sort of a natural time to sort of look back, to, to sort of take stock a little bit and, and say, you know, how am I doing? Uh, you know, where am I falling short? Where are my weaknesses? Where are my shortcomings? And then saying, hey, you know, I want to change. I want to change in these areas where I'm weak, where I'm falling short, and, uh, you know, I want to improve. I want to grow. And that is something that, while at times can be done in a secular way, very much fits with the Christian faith, right? We as followers of the Lord, at times, not just when it's the new year, but certainly it's just something that should be a part of our lives as followers of the Lord, is we should be taking time to sort of take stock, sort of evaluate ourselves and say, Lord, how am I doing? You know, uh, am I maturing in the faith? Where are my areas of weakness? Where is there sin that's still lingering in my life? Where are sort of those sin strongholds in my life where I need to grow, where I need to mature in the faith and, and serve you more faithfully, right? And so if you think about it, this whole New Year's resolution thing very much uh, can be and fits very well with the Christian faith. And so while, yes, someone could do it in a secular way that's not religious, I think it's a, a wonderful thing, not that Christians are obligated to do it, but I think it can be a wonderful thing for Christians to do with the start of a new year to say, let me take stock of my life. Where am I struggling? Where am I falling short? Where am I failing to honor you in my life, Lord? And then to resolve, right, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because we're not going to bring about change within ourselves truly on our own strength, but to resolve in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow, to mature in the faith, to be rid of that, that sin that's sort of a part of our former life, and to say, no, I want to to live faithfully. I want to live obediently. I want to live uh, in service to you, Lord. Um, and I want to look at a few more statistics because these will actually be a little bit relevant as we get later on in the, the sermon. Uh, but I sort of was wondering, was a little bit curious, you know, people make these New Year's resolutions. How successful are they? You know, do most people accomplish their New Year's resolutions? I sort of had, a, you know, a, a suspicion that probably most fail. And sure enough, these are the statistics you know, I'm not saying they're perfect, but this is from a reliable source. Uh, and it says that uh, by the second week of February, so you're sort of not even much more than a month in, not really that far into the year, already 80% of the people who've made their resolutions have failed, right? They're done. They've given up. Nope, I've failed. And, and back to the old way. Uh, and then you might be thinking, well, okay, so now you're down to 20%. Well, how many of those, you know, ultimately wind up go and they achieve their New Year's resolution of whatever, you know, losing 10 pounds or quitting smoking or whatever it might be, uh, only 8% of those who initially make a resolution actually achieve them. Uh, so sadly, not a great success rate. 
Um, I think when we talk about our Christian New Year's resolutions, I'd love to see a, a greater success rate. And I think, and this sort of ties in with a little bit of what I said, but what I'll talk about more is, uh, I think why you see this great failure is that people are trying to do things on their own strength. And ultimately, if we want change, particularly if we're battling sin, deep-rooted sin in our lives, it's going to be accomplished in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if we lean on his strength, then we're not going to see this 8% success rate. But if we truly lean upon him, seek to grow and mature in the faith, God will do what he does and bring about transformation. But anyway, uh, looking at this New Year's resolution theme, it's sort of a Christian perspective on it and sort of taking stock of things and saying, hey, I know that there are areas where, where I'm weak. I know there's areas where there's still sin in my life and I want to grow. I want to mature in the faith. Uh, I want us with that in view to take a look at Colossians. And this is chapter 3, so you can flip open your Bibles, turn there, Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian church, chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. And I'll start for us here, and this is uh, verse 1. Uh, I'll sort of give a, a quick summary before we dive in and we sort of work our way through this passage. I'll kind of sum it all up. Uh, basically, what Paul winds up saying here, we'll flesh this out more, basically is that uh, is he's writing to the Colossian church, to these Christians there, right? What he's saying is, hey, in Christ, you're a new creation. The old you, right? He's saying, hey, you Colossian Christians, the old you, right? The you before you ever came to faith in Christ and gave your life to him, that you's dead and gone. He's gone. He is no more. And that means you can't go on living the way the old you used to live. All that sin that sort of went with that old you. What Paul's going to say here is basically you can't live the way that you used to live because the you you used to be is no more. But now you're a new creation, right? There's a new you in Christ. You're a new person in Christ. And so now he's saying, hey, followers of Christ, you need to live in a new way, in a way that's in light of this new creation that you are. You need to live in a Christ-like way. Be rid of that sin and follow the Lord. Be obedient to him. And so in a nutshell, that's, that's what he's saying. And we'll see this here. We'll, we'll dig in. And I'll read it for us, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right, so what he's saying here is, hey, you've been raised, right, with Christ. In Christ, you are now, he's saying, you have new life in Christ. You're a new creation in him, right? The old you, he's dead, he's gone, he is no more. There is a new you. And as a result, he's saying you can't think and operate the same way that you used to operate. If the old you is dead and gone, if he is no more, well, then you can't think and operate in the same way, right? You can't be setting your hearts and setting your minds on the same old earthly, worldly things, but you need to operate and think in a new way, in a new manner, because now you're a new creation in Christ. So this new you needs to think and operate in a different way and set your things not on the worldly, sinful, earthly things, but on heavenly things, on things that are wholesome, right? There needs to be a totally new way of operation because we are in Christ a to totally new creation. So he goes on, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, right? Whatever belongs to that old you, the old you before you came to know Christ, whatever that sin was that you used to live in, he says, you know, you got to put that to death. 
right? That you's gone, so you can't live that way any longer. So put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That former you, that, that former nature of yours, that sinful nature, put it to death. And he gives some examples here. It's not to say these are necessarily our specific sins uh, that we used to live in, but these are some examples of sins, and he's saying you can't keep doing this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Right? He says you can't do this stuff anymore. You used to live that way. He says you used to be that way. But that you's dead and gone. You're a new person in Christ, and so you now need to live in a new way, obediently, in a Christ-like way. So he goes on, verse 6. Because of these, right, that sinfulness that he just talks about, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, right? He, he knows these Colossian Christians saying, this is the way you used to live. This is the way you used to operate. But again, you're not the same person. Yes, you're still Steve or whatever your name is. Yes, in that sense, you're still the same person. But there's a totally new version of you. The old version of you is gone, is no more. And now there's a new version. A new creation is what you are in Christ, a new version of you. So you can't live the way you used to. Right? So you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Right? Don't do that anymore. He goes on, verse 9, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Right, what is he saying here? This is the language of clothing, you know, putting on, taking off. He's saying, your old self, this old you, you've taken him off, kind of like clothing. You've taken it off, and permanently so. The old you's gone. He's here no more, and you've put on a new self, right? You are a new, new creation in Christ, very truly. Yet, there's this sense in which all too often, sort of, the, the things of the former self, the old self, the old person we used to be, sort of that sinfulness, has a way of sort of hanging around a little bit, sort of lingering, that sin can still hang around in our lives. And so what Paul's saying is, yeah, you've taken off the old self, you've put on the new self, but there is sort of this sense in which sin wants to linger a bit. And so he's saying you need to put that to death. You need to be done with that and live in a new way, obediently, in a Christ-like way. And he goes on, verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Again, still using that language of clothing, sort of putting on, clothe yourselves. And what he's going to say here is basically clothe yourselves with what ought to come with the new creation that you are. Clothe yourselves effectively in godliness and Christ-likeness as we're being, and this is our, God's intent for us, to be molded ultimately when we go to be with the Lord with completeness to be molded into the likeness of Christ. We're to grow and grow and be molded ever increasingly into the likeness of Christ. And so what Paul's about to say here is what you're supposed to put on, what you're supposed to clothe yourself with is Christ-likeness. Don't, don't be the way you used to be, but rather rather live in a new way, in a godly, Christ-like way. So he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
right? This is what Christ-likeness looks like. This is what we are to live out. Now that we're a new creation, don't live out all that stuff that he listed before, right? The sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, right? The other list he gave as well, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And you could certainly go on and on with these lists. Don't, don't live out that former stuff, but rather live in a new way, in a godly way, in a way that's characterized by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And he goes on to describe this, the way that we are to live now that we're a new creation in Christ. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, this is what we're to be living out. This kindness, this love, this compassion, this forgiveness, this humility. This is what our lives are to look like now that we're in Christ and we're a new creation in him. And the old self, he's dead and gone. And the things that came with that old self, that sin, Paul's saying, you can't live that way anymore. Put that to death and be done with that. Any of that sin that sort of still remains, that's still lingering in your life and it's present for all of us and will be till the day we go to be with the Lord and we're made perfect, it'll continue to linger. But Paul's saying, right, in a, in a continual way, we are to be putting that old self to death, all that came with it, uh, and of course live in light of the new creation we are obediently unto the Lord. And so he goes on, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, sort of, Summing up, I always want to recap what we just read and kind of look at the big picture. The substance of this is pretty simple, straightforward. I've, I've reiterated it numerous times as we've worked our way through this passage. But Paul is saying, hey, in Christ, right, we've, we've been raised to new life. We're a new creation in him. There's a new version of us, and the old version of us is gone. And now we need to live in light of that reality. If the old us is gone, well, then he's saying, you know, the old you's gone, so you can't live like the old you. But now there's a new you, and you need to live like the way the new you is supposed to live. So you can't live in that sin that has a way of sort of hanging around and lingering the way you used to live. He's saying you've got to put that to death. You have to be done with that. And now you need to live in a godly, Christ-like way, in a way that honors the Lord and glorifies him. And this very much fits in, right, if we think of the idea of sort of a new year, right, New Year's resolutions, the whole idea is sort of, you know, taking a look at oneself, recognizing one's failings, one's shortcomings, and saying, hey, I want to grow. I need to grow in these areas. Is. And so making that resolution, right, resolving, hey, in this new year, I'm not going to, you know, continue in those, those ways in which I lived before, right, but rather I want to change, I want to grow, I want to improve. And so you can sort of apply this in a Christian way, right, and, and really apply what Paul is saying here, right? Uh, this, this passage really ties in with that. There's a recognition here, what Paul's talking about is that, hey, the old us is gone, there's a new us. But yes, sin still has a way of hanging around. We have our areas of sin. There, there are areas of, of sin strongholds in our lives, right, that, that we live in. We're not perfect. And part of our calling as followers of the Lord is to be rid of that sin, to say, hey, I'm not going to live that way any longer, 
right, but rather than to resolve in the power of the Holy Spirit, right, we're not going to do it on our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit to resolve right now to live in a new way that reflects the new creation we are, right, to live obediently, faithfully unto the Lord. Right, and so what I really want to challenge us to do, I'm, I want to talk about this a little bit practically, but to make this year, right, to challenge each and every one of us to make a sort of Christian New Year's resolution, to take time, right, whether it's later today, maybe after the service you get back home, or maybe it's later in the week, to take time, really certainly to do it prayerfully. I don't want this to be something that's just sort of done on our own wisdom, you know, following our own gut instincts and so forth, but really to be doing it prayerfully, but, but to take stock of ourselves, to be honest with ourselves and say sort of, you know, where am I still sinning? And what areas of my life is there still sin? Where am I falling short? Where am I honestly failing to honor the Lord in my life? To take stock and really to pray and say, Holy Spirit, just, just open up my eyes to it. Because I think all too often, right, we can be blind. Sometimes we know ourselves and, and we know our sins and some of our struggles, some of our areas of weakness. Uh, other times, though, I think we can be blind to our own sin. We've been living in it so for so long that we're just sort of blind to it. Maybe, just to use an example, maybe pride's an issue. And you don't even realize it. Probably the people around you have some awareness of that that might be an issue in your life. The Lord certainly knows it. But it's sort of, we're, we're, we have blinders up and we just don't see it. And so I don't want us just to trust our own wisdom, but to come before the Lord and say, Lord, open up my eyes to sin that's in my life, that's present in my life. All of the ways in which I, I fall short, I fail to honor you the way that I've been called to, Lord. Open up my eyes to it. And then as he does that, as he sort of opens up your eyes to these areas of sin in your life, really to resolve, again, not on our own strength. There have been times in my life where I think as I've tried to grow and mature in the faith, I've sort of done it on Steve's strength. And every time I've ever done that, uh, and no surprise here, right, it's just biblical, every time I've tried to do it on my own strength, I sort of cover up that sin in my life a little bit. You know, I maybe put makeup on it, and it looks a little bit, my life looks a little bit better for a month or two, but ultimately the real me comes out, and I'm incapable of changing my own heart, right? It's only the Lord who can change the heart. And so any time in my life I've tried to do things on my own and change myself on my own, I've failed because ultimately that's something that I don't have the power to do. Only the Holy Spirit does. Only God does. And so if we want to make these resolutions, if we want to see change in our lives, if we want to grow and mature in the faith, it has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as the Lord opens up your eyes to sin in your life, then make that resolution. Say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to keep living that way. I, I don't want to disobey you. I don't want to dishonor you. I, I want to live faithfully. I want to live obedient. I don't want to live like the old me, but like the new me ought to live in a Christ-like way, obediently. And so resolve no longer to live in that sin, but to obey the Lord, to live faithfully unto him, but again, doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to bring the change, to transform you on the inside, right, so that then you can live out that faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And I want to use an example here, because uh, I was sort of thinking about this as, I'm, as I was preparing the sermon, you know, as a pastor, and, and when you preach, it's always good to sort of, you know, preach to yourself first, rather than just say, I'm just going to prepare a sermon, and I'm going to preach, and I'll have some application for the church, but, oh, surely it's not for me to do, uh, right? Of course, quite contrary to the contrary, it is for me to do, right? I'm part of the church. There's still sin in my life, and as I think of sort of the New Year, New Year's resolution as sort of, you know, putting to death the old self and, and and living in light of the new creation that I am, right, I have work to do as well. And so even as I was preparing this, I was sort of thinking, you know, well, what, what should my New Year, 
Year's, Christian New Year's resolution be? Lord, wh where is there still sin in, in my life? And surely there's plenty of sin in my life and all of our lives. And I really felt the Lord just continuing to lay on my heart the same thing. Um, and it's not to say that this is the only area in which I need to grow. Uh, but this was the one that just sort of kept coming to mind that I felt like the Lord was really laying on my heart. And it related to, to the area of parenting. And, and not that I'm some awful, terrible parent. I think I'm a decent parent. Um, but, you know, kids can be difficult at times. My kids in particular, I'd say probably James. He's awesome. He's great. I, I, I certainly don't want to bash him in any way. He's a great kid. But he can be uh, trying and he can be strong-willed. Uh, and so he, he's difficult at times. And he pushes back. And, and I would say lately I've, I've grown impatient with that a bit. And all too often I've sort of lashed out uh, maybe in anger, disciplined in anger, raised my voice a little bit too much rather than really in a calm, cool, collected way disciplining and love. Uh, and so I know that, that that's something that has sort of become all too often a pattern for me, and I recognize that sinfulness. I recognize that that's not honoring God uh, when I discipline in that way. That's not, that's not what a loving father ought to do, right? Discipline is certainly something that needs to be, to be present. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but it needs to be done in a calm and loving way rather than sort of lashing out in anger toward one's child. And so I know I'm not honoring God when I discipline in that angry way. Uh, and on top of that, it's not productive for James. He responds very negatively toward it. You'd think I'd learn, yet somehow I don't, uh, and I continue to do so. And so even just from a practical standpoint, I, I'm not being a faithful uh, and effective father in my role when I continue to do that as well. And so God's saying to me, hey, Steve, you need to honor me in this way, and, and you need to serve your, your kids, James in particular, in this way by being the faithful parent that, that you're called to be and sort of dealing with that impatience, dealing with that little bit of anger issue. Uh, and, and again, not to say that that's the only sin in my life that I need to work on, but that just has sort of been particularly uh, relevant lately as James has been a little bit difficult and has just sort of been on my heart and I've recognized I, I need to work on that. And I'll be working on other things throughout 2020, but that was something that I really just felt the Lord laid on my heart. And maybe for you it's something different. I mean, maybe you're a parent and you're thinking like, amen, Steve, yep. I hear you, that's what it's like for me, or maybe not, you know, but maybe you don't have young kids and you're thinking, you know, my struggle's something else. Maybe it's, uh, who knows, maybe it's a struggle to, to love others, or maybe it's specific people. Uh, maybe you're decent at loving most people, but oh, my enemies, I just have a hard time loving my enemies. Or maybe it's just an issue of pride in your life. Uh, maybe it's, you know, I, I really just am not being faithful in sharing the gospel with with family, with friends, with co-workers, and I need to be better about that, you know, whatever it might be. It could be a whole host of different things. It could be, you know, God's just laying on your heart that you need to be a better husband or wife or father or mother or a whole host of different things. But there's so much uh, to be sure. There's still plenty of sin in our lives, and we need to grow, and we need to mature in the faith. It's something that we're called to do to sort of put off that old self, to be done with the things of our old self, and to live in that new way, in that Christ-like way. And so I really want to challenge us to live that out, uh, to really make that New Year's resolution prayerfully, to, to resolve, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow and mature in the faith and be rid of sin in our lives. Uh, and as we do it, I think of, you know, well, what, what's going to be the result, right? We're going to grow. We'll mature in the faith. There'll be blessing that comes as we say, Lord, I, I just want to be all the more faithful to you in my life. I just want to be all the more obedient to you. There'll be blessing that comes from that as we grow and mature spiritually. But also I sort of think of it not just from the individual perspective of, oh, what's going to be the result for me or what's going to be the result for you? 
But I think of, well, what if every person at New Hope Chapel were to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make my Christian New Year's resolution. I'm going to prayerfully discern, you know, what sin in my life right now do I need to work on? Does God want me to work on? And really then resolve to grow in that area in the power of the Spirit. If each and every one of us does that, think of the impact, not just from an individual perspective, but on the life of the church as a collective whole, right? I think we're a church that, that honors and glorifies God in a great way, but that doesn't mean there isn't room for growth. And so I think of, well, what if we all do that? Each and every one of us saying, we want to grow. We want to mature in the faith. We want to honor God more in our lives. And then as a collective church to all be doing that, I think the impact would just be huge. God would be at work in big ways in our lives as individuals, but also collectively as a church. And I just think of the honoring and glorifying unto God that would be taking place here. Even though it's already great, we'd be, I'd say, honoring and glorifying God all the more so as we strive to grow and mature in the faith. And so I just want to challenge us to do that. With the new year here, let's look at 2020. And I don't mean this to sort of beat ourselves up and say, oh, you know, this sin in my life, and I'm so terrible. I, I think of it as an exciting thing. Yeah, this sin in my life, but, but this year's an opportunity to grow. This year's an opportunity to sort of put off that old self, clothe myself in the new self, in that love and compassion and kindness and humility that I'm called to live out. And it's an opportunity to grow, to mature, to honor God more and more each and every day as individuals, but also as a church. And so I just want to challenge us to live it out for the Lord, for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, it is a new year. It's a, it's a gift from you just to have life, to be entering into this new year. It's the first Sunday of 2020. And it's a time when loads of people, Christian and otherwise, are making their New Year's resolutions. Some of them secular, but some very Christian, Lord. And it is a biblical thing to take stock at times, to look at our lives, see where we're falling short, where there's sin in our lives, and resolve to grow, to mature in those areas, to honor you, to be done with that sin, and instead live in a new way as a new creation, Lord, honoring and glorifying you. And I pray that for each and every one of us that you just open our eyes to sin that's present in our lives. At times we're aware, but at other times we can be quite blind to our sin. So I pray that you would open up our eyes to our sin and then just give us a, a passion for being rid of that sin, not continuing in that pattern of behavior that, that characterized our former self, but saying, no, I want to live in the new way. Now that I'm a new creation in you, Lord Jesus, I want to live in a new way and honor you and glorify you in every way, Lord. And Lord, may we make that resolution to be done with that old self, that old sin, and live for you in a Christ-like way, knowing we can't do it on our own. If we do, we'll be like the 8%, only it won't be 8%, it'll be 0% accomplishing our New Year's resolution. But if we lean upon you, Holy Spirit, seek your transforming work in our lives, then you will work and you will move, surely, and we will grow and be transformed and live in that new way that we've been called to live. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, you just bear great fruit in our lives as individuals, but also collectively as a church. And may you be glorified in every bit of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now we're going to take some time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is